Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, we come to you today. As the nation is in turmoil, and as some are looking to the leadership of this country to be strong and definitive against evil. We know what you feel about evil. We know what kind of leader you are. And no matter what the leadership of this country may be or may seem like, you are our leader. You are our king. And we look to you because we know that you have crushed evil that you have died for our sins, God. And we know that you, God, as the nations rage, our king sits on the throne. As there is chaos, we sit with peace. But the truth of the matter is, God, that we not only bring in the baggage of this country, but we are in our own personal turmoil, God. And we have come in today with a different set of circumstances. And we come in today, God, needing to be reminded of your goodness and your mercy towards us. And so, God, today, we ask you, we collectively ask that as we sang, we want to seek your face. We want to hear from you, and we want to bless your heart, God. So, God, during this time, we ask that the spirit of the living God would come and just fill our hearts and fill our minds and speak to us, God, so that when we walk away from here, there is a word keeping me for this week, that there is something on my mind that I can't shake, that no matter what the media, no matter what my rent or no matter what my job may come at me this week, there is a word hanging in my heart that is changing me and growing me. God, we ask that you give us that word. We ask that you speak into our lives. And we ask that you change us, Jesus. Change us and make us look more like you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you to Rasul and Hannah for uh, having that time of intercession for our country and that time of just prayer so that we can have some clarity on what God thinks, what God already says about these given subjects. Well, we have been in a series uh, called Grow Up, and it really is about maturing in Christ. And what we've said is that if you come to know the Lord, that over time, the expectation is that you would begin to grow, that you would not be stagnant in your growth, but that over time, just like a child, who physically grows, the Bible says we become born again, and so we're called to spiritually grow, become more mature. The Bible says in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, the author there wrote, in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. He was saying, hey, it's, it's about time. It had been several years had gone by, and there were certain things that that community was still partaking in. He says, you know, there are some things that you should continue in or you should continue to grow in and build yourself up in. 
Now, there's some hang-ups, some heartaches, some addictions that we'll have to fight. But really what he's talking about is creating a pattern in your life of growth. There are certain habits that we are called to cultivate. We said that habits are these unconscious tendencies that that are cultivated over time. And we reeled off several of those habits. And I'm going to talk about those a little bit later in the message. But there is a habit that I want to talk about today, a habit that we ought to build up. And the way I'll tell you about it is first telling you a story that's in the Bible. There was a man that if you saw him, you probably, probably would see him on the subway, a little loud, a little crazy, out of his mind. If you saw him, you would move away from him. The scriptures tell us about a man who was so wild that they tried to chain him up. He was so deranged that they put him in the tombs. And every time they would shackle him, and every time they would put him in chains, he'd break those shackles and break those chains. The scriptures tell us that he would take rocks and he'd cut himself. Night and day, the Bible tells us, he would scream and cry out. If you saw this man, you'd say he's deranged. You'd say he's wild. You'd say he's out of his mind. This man, though, had an encounter one day. And Jesus stepped on the scene. And Jesus met up with this man and began to engage him, and and he said to him, who is it inside of you? And inside of him were demons. And the demons spoke to Jesus, and he says, our name is Legion. Now, in the Bible, Legion generally represented 5,000 soldiers. So we can only presume that this man had thousands and thousands of demons inside of him, raging inside of him. And as he was there, Jesus would set him free from those demons. And he would send those demons into the pigs, and those pigs would run off a cliff. The Bible says that this man, after he was set free from those demons, it says he was sitting down and he was clothed, meaning that when he was in those tombs, he was a naked man running around, scratching himself with rocks and screaming. And now he's clothed and in his right mind. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8, verse 38, after all this had happened, it reads this way. In Luke chapter 8, it says, well, the the verse before that, um, he tells this, uh, he tells the demoniac, the young man, he has this encounter with him, and the, and the, the young man says, I want to stay with you. I want to be with you wherever you go. And he says to him in Luke chapter 8, verse 39, he says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told, told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. <laughs> I wish we had the text up there, the verse before that, because when you see the verse before that, what the man says is, yo, this was amazing. I was naked just a second ago. I got clothes on now. I got my mind now. 
I don't want to go anywhere without you. It's me and you now, Jesus, and I want to keep it between me and you. Let's have a relationship. You know, you're going to be my boo now. We're going to have an intimate conversation every day, and we're going to talk every day, and where you go, I go, and I just want to be around you. And though that's a noble request, Jesus said, no. What I'd rather you do is return home and tell how much God has done for you. You see, there is a natural tension when God does great things for us to want to deepen our faith privately. And what God tells them is, no, go public. Tell people what I have done for you. And as believers, one of the habits we have to cultivate, y'all, is going public with our faith. That we wouldn't have a closet that we keep Jesus in, all intimate with our prayers, very quiet with our love for him. Rather, we would be public, out front. And this should be a, a thing of joy. You know, one of the tensions that we feel whenever we use the term evangelism, oftentimes people think of this weighty conversation where I got to have all my apologetics right and I got to have, have studied all these different religions and whatnot. And yet the Bible does not call us to have us be a community of apologists or even a community of evangelists. What we're called to be is actually a community of worshipers, people who have been blessed by God and want to share it with others. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 96, verse 2 and 3. He says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And so the way that it is talking about us sharing who God is, is in a song. And it's saying you're singing from a place of joy because what God has done for you and how much he has blessed your life. And he says, tell the nations. And so in many ways, the picture is of calling the nations to join us in worship. I want you to join me in joy. Join me in experiencing the goodness of God and the pleasure of knowing him intimately. It's not meant to be weighty. It's not meant to be fearful. It's meant to be a joy. Because the Bible calls it good news. <laughs> it's weird to be afraid to share good news. Because I think he set me free. He can set you free. He brought me joy. He can bring you joy. He changed my life. He can change your life. And so the heart of sharing Jesus and being public about Jesus is allowing people to encounter the same person who encountered you. And they could have joy, and they could know him intimately and personally. This should not be a weight. It should be something that pleases us and in no way frustrates us. Paul the apostle actually, he shaped his life around making sure he could tell people about this good news in Romans chapter 15. 
Romans chapter 15, verse 20. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. But this is what I love. He says, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I want to go where people don't know about him. And so I want to live my life on mission in a way where I don't just hang out with the people that already know him. I want to construct my life where other people can celebrate the God that they don't know. See, the Bible says we're worshipers. And so we're worshiping something every day. And yet our idols don't actually love us. They don't actually care for us. They don't give us what we give them. They give, you know, you give that job that you worship all your time, all your money, all your energy, and the minute that you don't show up one day, you'll find out it don't love you. Our idols don't love us back. And so the beauty of our worship is that we want to be so filled with the love of God and the joy of God that we construct our lives where we could tell others who don't know about him. If I could give a shameless plug here, I mean, this is part of the reason why we want to move to Flatbush, our church. And I know it's challenging, and I know it's challenged some of you, but it boggles my mind in some ways that when there's an area in the city where people go, there are no healthy churches around here. There, there's just so many problems around here. There's, there's, so much, there's so much pain in this one area. I believe a missionary would say, well, why don't we bring good news to the area? Why don't we plant some good news right there? Because if he can change a man with 5,000 demons inside of him, and he can change my life, I believe he can transform Flatbush. I believe there's nothing too hard for God. And so then we seek, where hasn't Christ been proclaimed? Let's construct our lives in such a way where we position good news where there's bad things happening. (laughs) And so where we feel this tension is how. How can I go public with my faith? I remember the first time I shared my faith on a plane. I did a horrible job with it. And uh, part of the reason why was I was in a fraternity in college, and um, I had one of my uh, shirts on, Omega Sci-Fi, and I had one of my shirts on, which was not problematic. But what ended up happening was I'm uh, talking to this woman. She was actually a professor at Syracuse University, and we had this incredible conversation. I was like, Jesus, 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 you know what I mean? Jesus is amazing. And, but I could tell she was a little bothered, and I thought to myself, what? What is, you know, why, why is all this tension? You know, she probably don't lo- love the Lord and don't know the Lord, and that's okay. And so I have this conversation with her, and so we keep the conversation going. And, and so 10 years later, I'm cleaning out an old box with shirts in them, and I see that shirt I was wearing. And I look up, and it's actually, um, it was like a dog positioned like a man with like, the, like this, but he, had, but he was like, he had a thong on, like, and so he looked crazy. And so like, it looked like a dude with like a thong on, but I was like, yo, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the Lord is good all the time. And I think God still used it. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I was very odd and very weird, but I didn't even think about it. I just had the joy of the Lord that I wanted to share. Some of you are overly concerned about your lives. You, you know you make mistakes. You think you've been disqualified from going public with your faith. Some of you have made so many mistakes you think that God is almost done with you. 
but I want you to know that God has shaped you, made you, and molded you to be public with your faith. He has positioned you where he has positioned you. He has put you in the job, in the community, to be public with your faith, no matter how many mistakes you make. Now, the, the, the tension, again, is, is how. How will I look, and, and what can I do? Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Here, Paul is, as the missionary he is, he's on his way to Troas. Troas was part of this area called Macedonia. And as he goes there, he wants to go to another place where the gospel is still growing. And he says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door had been opened for me in the Lord, verse 13, he says, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphant, triumphal procession. Well, if you look back at verse 12 real quickly, he says, I, I was on my way to Troas, and he'll say in verse 13, uh, I, I was looking for my boy there, and I wasn't able to find him. He says, but something was happening, though, that made me want to stay there. And he says, I wanted to preach the gospel. And he says, the, a door had been opened for me. Paul there feels this tension because he says, there's some opportunity for me to share, but I, my spirit was heavy, so I want to actually look for my friend. Now, I won't spend some time on the fact that he was looking for his friend. Later on, he says he ended up finding his friend, Titus. But in the text here, he says, a door had been opened for me. A, a similar verse is in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says in Colossians 4, 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And so what Paul, what you notice here is that Paul actually believes that if God is going to do anything where the word of God can go forth, he believes God has to open up a door for that happen. He believes that God has to make an opportunity come to fruition. And until God opens up a door, he doesn't think he's going to be effective. He says, pray for us. Pray that opportunity will happen. Pray that God will open a door. My Christian life, and I think the Christian life, should feel like an adventure. When I read the book of Acts, I think that should not be this historical reality. I think it should be a normative way that the Christian lives, where the Holy Spirit is leading us into different opportunities to tell people about who God is. And what Paul did was he would, he would pray, he would have other people pray, and then he would look where the door is open. I want, you to, tell, I want to tell you right now, Yes, we're in New York City. Yes, everybody is, you know, an atheist and everybody's reading memes and getting their theology from memes and whatnot. And everybody is, you know, everybody's tough. It's, it's tough. It's real tough in New York City and everybody's crazy. But I want you to know there's a door that's open where you are. 
God creates opportunity for those who are seeking it. For those who want to be public with their faith, he creates opportunity. Notice he says, pray, I'm asking God, open up a door. And the door, nine times out of 10, are the hearts of men and women. That people would be receptive to what we have to say. Receptive to my story so that someone would know that God is real and I could share that with them. You know, I've sat down with people, told them my testimony, told them about Jesus. One person sat there and accepted Christ. The other person sat there and was begrudging, had their, you know, had their arms folded. The other person was on their phone, wasn't even paying attention. Because there was tension and because there was opposition, that did not mean in this entire conversation a door had not been opened. I believe that when you pray and you ask God to be public, he creates opportunity. There was a man, um, his name was Andy Ellis. I used to work at the YMCA. My job was to help little old ladies do bench press, and you know, I would, help, I would wipe down, the, wipe down the, uh, the machines. It was a very boring job. But I, you know, I was always been a conversationalist, you know, and so I would get into conversations. And one time, there was a guy, his name was Andy, and he had just had a stroke. And he was on the leg press machine. And his wife had called me over and said, can you help Andy out with this leg press machine? Just kind of move it back and forth as he does his legs. He just had a stroke. I began to just move it back and forth with him, and I said, where are you from? The left side of his face was a little slanted down. He could barely get the words out. But Andy was an author. He was also a cartoonist. And he had had a stroke earlier that year. He was trying to get his left side back together, and we began to talk more. And he says, what do you do? And I said, well, this is all I do right now. And as we began to talk, I told him I was in seminary, and we began to talk more. I told him I, I knew God, and we began to talk more. And then several months would go by, and I, and I never tried to push my faith on him. I never, you know, I, I didn't have a track. I didn't have an amazing story. I didn't try to intimidate him. I just kept talking to him. Well, one day, I told Andy, I said, Andy, I'm, I'm leaving the church. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm leaving the, uh, the job and I'm, I'm actually going to become a pastor. I didn't know you were going to be a pastor. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to become a pastor. And so two weeks later, I see Andy at my church sitting there. And I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. And, and I, I mean this in the kindest way, but that, that church I had was not as diverse as we are. This was all black. He was the only white brother up in there. And I was like, wow. And he's like long hair, but he had like bald. It was like bald, but long. He was like a hippie, but trying to like, anyway. But anyway, so he was, he was there. Everybody was like, wow, who's this? I was like, it's my friend Andy. So he's sitting there. And then one day, and I remember I was preaching on, I was preaching on surrender. I was preaching on surrender. And I said, Surrender is really about waving the white flag and letting God know you can't do it anymore. And two days later, I got an email from Andy Ellis, and it, the subject line was, I waved the white flag. And Andy Ellis, six months later, was baptized in that church. 
But here's the crazy thing. Andy's wife was a secretary at at the seminary I was going to. Andy's wife had been praying for him for five years. Andy Andy and his wife had been divorced and then got married, and so her son was a guy named Clint Dowda. Clint is a pastor. Clint was best friends with the pastor of the church that I came into. He was best friends with that pastor, so Clint had already been to that church before. And so when I baptized Andy and I met Clint and I talked to his wife, Christy, they were like, you don't understand. We've been praying for years for Andy. Andy used to laugh at us. Andy used to sit there and smoke his cigarettes as we go to church. And you know what they said? What did you say? What'd you say to him? And I said, y'all, I was on the leg press. (laughs) I didn't say anything. There was two girls one time. I was walking outside of the church. I was working at a church in Atlanta, Blueprint Church. I walk outside. This girl, she's there. She's crying. She's smoking a cigarette. And I say, hey, you okay? She said, I can't find a job. And I said, I know this is crazy, but do you know this is a church? She was like, I'm sorry. Should I not be smoking? I said, no, don't worry about it. I said, but I'm a pastor. Do you mind if I pray for you? She said, I would need that so much. And so I pray pray over this girl. Well, the girl had a homegirl, right? And we ended up uh, getting, I ended up getting a conversation with her. And at the time, do y'all know uh, Insanity? Like P90X, all that? So we were doing Insanity. It was insane. So we were doing it, and um, I got into a conversation with her. And at the end of the conversation, she's like, yeah, I'm looking for a gym. I said, well, we do Insanity. She's like, can I come? I was like, yeah. So, so every morning, I'm doing insanity with this girl and her homegirl. Now, they're, they're not trying to live for the Lord. She was just smoking a cigarette by the church. So we're having conversations one day. And it's funny because my wife, my wife never went to a club. She never went out. So she's not, you know, used to, like, conversations about crazy stuff. So they're talking. We're in a conversation with them one day. And they were like, yeah, you know. So my wife was like, so what y'all do this weekend? And they were like, well, we made some money and she was like, well, how'd you make some money? She was like, well, what it was is that we actually, um, we actually were in this contest. And my wife was like, what kind of contest? She was like, it's a jello wrestling contest. My wife was like, and the crazy part is my wife didn't get it. She was like, jello? And I was like, baby, I'll give you a conversation about this after. <laughs> it's crazy. So like we're in this relationship with them. And my wife is, you know, I get in the car and I explain what a jello wrestling contest is. And she's like, in the jello? I'm like, yes, babe, it's crazy, I know. But they would, they would wrestle all, they were roommates, they would wrestle all the different people and then come and be like the last, they'd come to the end and wrestle each other and let one win, and they would do it every weekend. I promise you, this is a true story. So, so we're like, this is what they do, right? And then one Sunday I look out and I see them in the back. And I'm preaching, and I'm just like, that's the jello girls. And anyway, the Lord... It's good in Jesus. And they would just kept coming to church. They kept coming to church. Now I want to give you a different end. I never baptized them. There was no family that came to me and said we had been praying for them. I actually don't know what happened to them. But I think I wasn't this incredible evangelist. Do you know what I think I was? Available. 
think I was available. You remember being in school and you had the answer and you were like, pick me? Y'all remember that? You remember you used to want to like, like extend your elbows like, ooh, remember that ooh sound you made? Pick me. And the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, looking for a heart that's truly his. In other words, God is looking for people to say, ooh, ooh, me, me, use me. Use me on my job. Use me in my neighborhood. Ooh, I'll do it. I'll tell the story. I don't know how to say it. I'm not a theologian. I don't got it all together. I'm a mess, but pick me. And the Lord uses not the skilled, but the available. I wonder if you say, pick me. Choose me, God. I want to tell your story. I want to be public with my faith. I want others to know. God opened that door, and he opened doors. But there's something to keep in mind about having that heart. He goes on to say in verse 14 and 15, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, go back to verse 13 real quick. Um, he says oh, in 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession and for we are not like so many, um, there should be a verse, there should be a verse before that. Um, anyway, uh, I don't have the verse that I need. Go before that verse, please. Go one more before that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do this old school today. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. In verse 15, he says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? He says, we are the aroma of Christ, a fragrance. And the picture there is of a triumphal procession where a king has defeated another king. And after that king would defeat the other king, there would be slaves and there would be wealth and all these things would be in this triumphant procession. And then as the king would come, and as they would walk into their kingdom, there would be these sweet scents. There would be these scents that they would throw onto the ground and incense that they would burn in the air to be able to proclaim their victory because their king has won. And what Paul says of us is that we are the fragrance of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. We have the sweet smell of victory, triumphant victory. And he says that that fragrance is to be spread everywhere. And the beauty of knowing Christ is that it's called to emanate from us emanate from our lives. It is important that you realize that 
We talked about habits before this. And I don't want you to think in any way, shape, or form that you have to have it all together before you're public with your faith. But I think that when we talk about maturing, again, we're not talking about those that are perfect. I'm really talking about those that are fighting. Those that are fighting to grow. And the habits that we lifted, listed off before is that, that you are always trying to engage the gospel. That you are trying to grow in the gospel. And the second habit is that we are trying to walk in the spirit. And the third habit is that you are creating reconciliation with people. And the fourth habit is that you would be a safe person. And that this fifth habit is that you would go public. And that all these habits are really us just trying to be people who love God. And our character goes before us. He says we are the fragrance of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. That aroma and that fragrance is meant to be natural because if you look in the verse there, it says that it is an aroma to God. Not an aroma, not a fragrance that's just to man. It's just an aroma to God that we would do everything in our lives that's pleasing to God. And as we please God, there is just something that emanates from us and people receive it and they feel it. Um, when I was in high school, I used to make a grave mistake. I would come from football practice and I would have choir rehearsal after. And so, my mom would tell me, hurry up, we got choir rehearsal tonight. And so I would run upstairs, but instead of taking a bath, I would throw my clothes on. But what I would do, see at the time we had this stuff called cool water cologne. Y'all don't know about it. You don't know about it. You don't know about it. You don't know, you don't know. I put that cool water on. The problem is I put that cool water on, not that real water. <laughs> and what I would try to do is I would try to have a fragrance cover up a real problem. And the truth of the matter is, it's not just that as believers we're not sharing our faith. The problem is people don't want our faith because we have such funky character. And then we try to cover it up with, come to church with me. Or we try to cover it up with, you know, I'm blessed and I love God. And when we try to be public about faith, but we're not loving people, what ends up happening is that our real aroma always captures the room. You ever um, smell something really bad? I mean, you got to put that, you know, shirt up. It's like, oh, my God, what is that smell? And then somebody gets some Lysol and tries to spray over it. Have you ever seen that happen? I mean, we praise God for Febreze. For Febreze is not in this analogy. But just think of Lysol. And you try to put a, a scent over something that's strong. Now you kind of have this sweet smell and this funk happening at the same time. 
You see, that's how we have people marching in Charlottesville in the name of Jesus. Because they do it out of a heart of supremacy and not love. And what we're called to be is the aroma of Christ. And the aroma of Christ is truly our love for God. The fact that we love him and want to know him. And he says that aroma spreads everywhere. And the Bible says that all the commands hang off of two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving people. It's about loving people. It's about caring for people. It's about being a person who's patient with people at work. It's about being a person who will give your seat up on the train. It's about being a person who is caring for their roommates. It's about being a person who will listen to others. You see, it's not that God just wants these soldiers out there sharing their faith. He wants people who have been captured by the love of God. And the Bible says we love because he first loved us. And that, that man that was filled with demons... He starts to tell people, I'm changed now, y'all. <laughs> no, 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 it, it was me, it's Pookie. Yeah, I was up over in the tombs, yeah, that's me. Yo, my cuts are gone, y'all. I'm changed, how did you change? Jesus. There was a woman with a water bucket, and it's called the Samaritan woman, and she goes back to her town and says, this man told me everything about myself. And there was a blind man who says, listen, I was blind and now I can see. And what happens is, is that when your heart is captured by the love of God, when the news is good news, we just share it and we tell others about it. Well, lastly, the verse says this in chapter two, verse 17. Uh, yeah, he says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let me just share this last two things. He says here, we're not like <laughs> so many <laughs> peddling the word of God. And at that time, there were men who would go around and in order to share about Jesus and teach about Jesus, they would take money. And they would actually peddle it. And so they would create these transactions. I will tell you about Jesus if you give me money. And so where they were transactional. And they were like, we're not like them. Transactional. Saying, if you give me this, I'll give you Jesus. But he says instead... We are men of sincerity, commissioned by God, speaking in the sight of God. Here, the word sincerity is pure, authentic, real. Do you know what people long for? Authenticity. My buddy Dahadi Lewis says, authenticity is the apologetic of our day. Oh, the church is filled with fake people. Oh, how people long for honesty. 
Oh, how people don't just want to hear about what Christ did. They want to know what you were like before. Oh, how people want to have an honest conversation with you about brokenness and realness. How much people are longing to know that the people at the bar are just like the people in the church. How much people want honesty, sincerity, vulnerability, and transparency. The Bible says we're not like those peddlers, people who just try to share Christ for gain, for some monetary gain. No, we're sincere and we're authentic. And when we speak, he says, it's as if God is the only one in the audience. It's as if God is the only one listening. You are right now Hear me, hear me. You are surrounded by people that are burdened and some are lonely. And if you don't know this, know this to be true. The look that people have at work is not the real life that they're living. The pain that people are in, they don't always show it. And there are people that are hungry for Jesus and you just don't know it. And there are people who are hungry for Jesus and are filling it with something else. And there's a part of us that says, well, I just, you know, it's just me and Jesus. It's personal. It's personal, you know, it's a personal relationship. True, the Christian life is personal, but it's not private. You see, Christ, when he died, he died on a cross, up on that cross, all for men and women to see. And when they saw him, they mocked him. And when they saw him, they spat at him. And everyone knew who that Jesus was. But we are called to tell people about who that man who died on that tree is. In this country, people know who Jesus is. They have him mischaracterized. Jesus died publicly. Know this. We are not called to a private faith because he died on a public cross. He was seen by all. And today, some of you need to do two things. One, you just need to decide. God has called me to be public. And that needs to become a prayer, a part of your prayer life. That you ask God to open doors. And that you ask him to go before you. And that when your fragrance enters the room, they smell the sweet victory of Christ. But then some of you, you know, there's the tension sometimes when it comes to baptism. Some of you just need to get baptized. You know, your, your, your walk with God really started now. It really start, you really restarted your walk with God today and in this community. And, and you need to invite your friends or the friends you have to a baptism. Because baptism is nothing more than an outward expression of an inward faith. And so some of you need to take that step. In the back, we have a table where you can sign up. You can just sign up to say, I need to be baptized. I need to be out. I need to be out. I need to be up front. I need to be public.
I pray that today you would be reminded of God's love for you. But I pray that telling your story is not a burden for you. I pray you know it is good news. Good news that someone around you is hungry for. God, we love you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be reminded of your grace in our lives. Jesus, we pray that today, today, you would stir our hearts to be public, to be out front with our faith, to tell the story of who we have been and who we are now. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would position our lives so that we could tell people about Jesus where he is not named and he is not known. God, we bless you. We bless you, God. And we ask you for opportunity, Jesus. We ask you for opportunity. Pick me. Choose me. Open the door, God. Open someone's heart. And let me just walk into opportunity, Jesus. And we ask that tonight we would begin to look more for the opportunities in front of us. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.